Hey fellow Muppet fans, and welcome to Moving Right Along, a Muppet movie podcast brought to you by ToughPigs.com. This is the podcast where we watch The Muppet Christmas Carol two minutes at a time and talk about it a lot. I'm your host, Ryan Rowe. I'm your other host, Anthony Strand. And today we have a return guest. It's always great to talk uh, Muppets and Muppet movies with her. Guest, please introduce yourself. My name is Jennifer Garland, and I am the co-editor of two books about Jim Henson and the Muppets, Kermit Culture and the Wider Worlds of Jim Henson. Yeah, yeah. And everyone should uh, check those books out if you haven't already. If, if you haven't, what are you waiting for? But, but go check those out. Um, so today we are here to talk about minutes 33 and 34 of The Muppet Christmas Carol, in which the ghost of Christmas past takes Scrooge on a wild ride to his past. And as these minutes begin, Scrooge is face to face with this eerie childlike ghost who we met last time. Um, in fact, the first thing he says to her is, you're just a child. But she does have a snappy comeback for this. She says, I can remember nearly 1900 years. So presumably this ghost of Christmas past has always been the ghost of Christmas past. Right. Or since the um, year I zero. Actually, right. <laughs> I actually really think that the the puppet makes this scene so much more fanciful than it ever does with a human. Sure. Like in most in most movie adaptations where the ghost of Christmas past is just, you know, Joel Grey with his hair slicked back or whatever. <laughs> right. But that's the that's the Patrick Stewart version. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. It's a notoriously just... difficult character to portray. Uh yeah. And, and in fact, uh, I was looking over the annotated Christmas Carol uh, book, which talks about the original publication. And one of the notes they had was that the original illustrator, John Leach, for Dickens' initial version that came out in 1843, Leach didn't even try to illustrate this character. Oh. He, he did illustrations of the other ghosts, but the ghost of Christmas past was so difficult to realize, to visualize the way that Dickens has described it, that the, the illustrator didn't even try. He said, no, huh. not going to do that. Yeah, we've right. commented on the fact that the, this ghost is usually depicted as youthful or childlike, but not always. So I guess no. the fact that there's no no standard depiction from the book to draw on, I guess people don't well, always know what to it's do. It's also been character. played as an old woman in a couple of different versions. Mm. Edith Evans and Angela Pleasance had both played the character in earlier adaptations. And of course, Joel Gray. I don't think looks childlike. No, uh, no, no. Probably not. Not one of Joel Gray's bitter roles. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a, a character that has been portrayed by men. It's been portrayed by women. It's been portrayed by young people, old people. And that's because Dickens' original version has all of those things in it. Uh, it's technically a non-binary character. It's neither male nor female. Right, right. Well, and that's what I mean with this puppet. I think it just, it gives it such an otherworldly affect that is impossible to do with a person playing it. Right. And absolutely. Like e even in animation, like, like you and I talked about last week, Ryan, the Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol and the Richard Williams version both try to kind of, to kind of try to capture this, like, you know, shift, shifting. Just something. Yeah. Totally otherworldly. Right, but this one's really effective, I think. It's one of my favorite parts of this adaptation. The the way in which the puppetry allows this very ethereal being is so lovely and so true to the spirit of Dickens' story. And even though, obviously, it's a Muppet adaptation, it takes a lot of liberties with Dickens' story, right? To see that particular ghost done so well makes it such a joy yeah and i think we may have said last week that some fans of this movie find this ghost creepy to the point of being off-putting but i think the creepiness is just so such an important part of the character especially well, because it's the first of these three ghosts that scrooge meets i don't think this ghost is creepy <laughs> No, I don't either. I think it's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, eerie, otherworldly, ethereal. Yeah, I, I, maybe. I, yeah, maybe I wouldn't even say creepy either myself. She looks a little bit like the the babies from Bobby Benson's Baby Band, which oh, people no. are also turned <laughs> off by. 
<laughs> ah, that's not true. It doesn't look like that, baby Dan. Maybe a uh, little bit. The ghost is okay. So there are a lot of things going on with the ghost, and and one of the things that Dickens meant to evoke is the the Chris Kindle, right? The Christ Child, uh, mm. because the ghosts do evoke different aspects of you know the religious message of Christmas, where we see the ghost of Christmas present later on, right? And the Saint right. Nicholas imagery. So so this one is is the the German tradition of the the Chris Kindle. Uh, but it's also the nebulous nature of memory in the story and in, in Dickens original text. Uh, Scrooge says the ghost of long past and the ghost says, no, your past. Yeah. And so right. what reason that it looks like it does is because it's an amalgamation of everyone from Scrooge's life. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which that exchange is in the movie is in fact in this scene while they're, it's moved to while they're flying instead of taking place in Scrooge's house. Yeah, the and, ghost says, uh, it, it, is, is that it can't be dawn. And the ghost says, no, it is the past. It is the, it is the past, right. right. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. In the, in so the book, the ghost says, your past very specifically. Right. right. Well, they, they say that here. I mean, she said, Scrooge says, is the past. And Scrooge says, long past. And she says, your past. Okay. That might the different, the different, I haven't rewatched the next two minutes after Archie. Right. So, oh yeah, I, sure, but but in too. the but you're right though it's still different because in the book she's or the ghost is talking about itself. Yes, and here it's talking about the past that they're going into. Right. So you're right; it's still different. Yeah. Um, right. No, I was going to say Jennifer. It's so I've been reading through the annotated this whole time. I knew you had gotten it. I saw that you had had gotten that edition when you said you were going to read several different classic books on Instagram. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I've been I've been reading it through for the podcast. But it's so nice to have you come on and just be like, "Oh, here's my deep understanding of the book." Like, I love it. Yeah, I'm so glad you're here. I used to teach Christmas Carol all the time, and I've done whole like six week classes just on Christmas Carol with my lifetime learners because it's such a rich text. Hmm. It really is, especially for such a short for, book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just an amazingly dense, evocative story. You can see why it's attracted so many film and television adaptations over the years. Uh, the first one, the first film adaptation, because it had been on stage before that, was like in 1901. Hmm. So right. movie versions of this, as long as we've been making movies. I assume that doesn't still exist. Mo I don't know that that one does. There are several silent film adaptations of Christmas Carol, and of course, seventy percent of silent films are lost. So, yeah, I'm not sure, how much still exists of those? Yeah, that's yeah. Too bad. there's one. There's a there's a compilation um, made by Kino called mm -hmm. Christmas Past, which is just have you seen it? I knew it's about just it. Just a bunch of Christmas shorts, and that has the 1908 yeah, uh, yeah. Christmas Carol in that. So I've seen that, and it's mm. good. It like. It condenses it down, but it hits all the important beats, you know. Well, this, you know, the Muppet version condenses a lot of things down too, but it gets all the beats in there. Well, that's the thing, yeah, yeah. about there being so many adaptations. There are just so many, like, there's just a few really important points that you have to hit. But other than that, you you can pretty much get the message and the point of the story across right. in a pretty concise way. One of the things I like about this particular scene from our two minutes for this episode is the tenderness that the ghost immediately evokes in Scrooge. Sure. And we think about, think about how we've seen him before with childlike figures. Like think about being bunny in the snow and, uh, and these yeah. things. Right. And yet there's something about this ghost that doesn't cause him to feel fear, but causes him to be immediately very gentle. Even his argument about how a good night's sleep would be better for his welfare the way right. King delivers that line, Scrooge is already very different from the ranting, raging Scrooge, you know, that, that we've seen earlier in the film. And so his response to that ghost and what it symbolizes is so profound and immediate. Yeah, these supernatural experiences are already uh, having an effect on him. Really, and that that's true in the story. Um, the ghost of Christmas past reaches Scrooge very quickly and effectively because it presents Scrooge with himself and, yeah. and with the, the deepest, most buried, 
most personal things about his life and the tenderness, especially we don't see it in this movie version, uh, but in Dickens story, the relationship he had with his sister, who is the mother of Fred, uh, really sets the tone for all of the emotional development that comes later because it's that human connection mm. that he gets back to and that he's lost. Right. Right, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. That that's not a part that that is present in most adaptations. No, Fanny sadly gets cut out of Fanny gets cut out of a lot of these, and it's it's a shame too because she's really important she's like, to Scrooge and who he is. Right. I mean, I think she's just as important as Belle, really. Oh yeah. You know, um, but she's in the Alistair Sim movie, and she's in the George C. Scott movie at least. Right. Okay. Yeah, she does show up, for, and of course in Scrooged. The Bill Murray movie, his brother is also an important character. And so his brother in that movie is the stand-in version for fan. For fan. Oh, okay. Yeah, I have not seen the Bill Murray movie in a long time. Oh, uh, my God. It's on our annual viewing Christmas. Uh, yeah. Trip. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I keep saying, like, I got to watch all these other adaptations. I should just sit down and, like, take a weekend and watch them all before the end of the, this podcast season. Muppet Christmas think, and Scrooge are the ones we watch absolutely every year. Sure. I think this is the year you got to do it, Ryan. You just got to. Oh, yeah. This is the a, year that a it nightly makes event sense of it. to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think start. watch 24 different versions. And then also watch Dan list. Stevens in The Man Who Invented Christmas. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, that was good. I like that. I did too. And, I, Which, and it's great because, um, like, Gonzo being Dickens in the Muppet version. Then you also get Dan Stevens arguing with his characters in the Man Who Invented Christmas version, and right. it's really uh, and fun. Scroo- very meta. And Scrooge, Scrooge is Christopher Plummer. We should yes. know, like it's oh. it's not it's not like they got some no one to play Ebenezer Scrooge. You know? <laughs> no, he you don't get a great. nobody to play Ebenezer Scrooge. Come on, you get yeah, Mickey Mouse. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You get you know Scrooge McDuck. You got to get a star yeah. in. Right. Right. Um, well, we mentioned. Um, I, I was going to say though, since since listeners will probably correct me, I, I double checked. The silent version of a Christmas Carol that survives is the 1910 version. Ah, the 1910. Okay. So I can't someone, believe someone you made that mistake. <laughs> I know. How, how dare I? How dare you? Uh, we've mentioned before that the the filmmakers of this briefly considered casting familiar Muppet characters as the the ghosts, the three ghosts. And uh, they talked about Scooter playing the Ghost of Christmas Past. Oh, I'm so glad they didn't do that. I, yeah, I don't know how that would have worked. I mean, it, it would have been something they would really have to think about anyway if they had proceeded with the movie after Richard Hunt passed away, because uh, Scooter would not be recast for several years. But uh, yeah, I think it's, I mean, overall, I think it's better that they did not go with casting familiar Muppets as a ghost. There's just something about these three original puppets that's just it just makes the movie that much more magical and cool powerful like i I think that that because the ghosts are original characters whom we don't attach other personalities to right accept them wholly as these characters and and especially i think with this particular story even though it has a lot of comedic elements and of course the muppets play up a lot of the comedy that we see with you know, the Marley brothers and uh, Fozzie Wig and Gonzo hooking on to the ghost of Christmas past with a rope and swinging along all those crazy things. There's a seriousness to this story and you do it a disservice if you lose sight of its message. Yeah. Yeah. It, it does. By casting these or creating these new puppets, it, it allows their part of the story to be played straight and taken seriously. And that's that's important when you've got Tiny Tim coming up. Yeah, yeah. You can't make everything else be funny because if you do that, you're going to undermine the the emotional impact of that sequence of the story, and that should be gut wrenching. Like that, if that doesn't make you cry, you're a turnip. You're a stone. <laughs> right. uh, you have no feelings. I, I read Christmas Carol over and over again. And in, in the book, when Tiny Tim dies, I lose it every time. Uh, it's so profound and moving and emotional. And you want that to be there in a movie version. Uh, yeah. So the Muppet version has got to keep that. And I think having Scooter and other characters as the ghosts 
would undermine some of our ability to process the emotional impact of what they're showing Scrooge. Yes, it would be tempting to give them more jokes and it would be distracting. Yeah, so. Exactly. And there are plenty of jokes. Right, Um, right. I think it really helps that we we obviously haven't gotten to Christmas present yet. But I think the fact that Christmas present is such a jovial character anyway, like that it's Jerry Nelson playing essentially a new Muppet. Right. Right. And that's and that's fine, and that fits with the book. I think that that really helps that feel natural here, right? They're not just like three completely alien characters, but one of them is like, oh, hey, it sounds like Pa Gorg, and it's like a cheerful, (laughs) kind of like full body Muppet. Well, this one is a little bit Muppety, and that one is very Muppety, and then then the last one shows up and like totally, uh, you know, gobsmacks us by being the least Muppety and the most scary. You're on your own, folks. Let's right, exactly. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I think last week I said that this week I would have some notes about how they shot this puppet. Uh, right. This is one of the in oil. Uh... Yeah. So they wanted to create this effect of her floating. Mm-hmm. So the original idea was they they started out filming her. So the puppet is filmed separately from Michael Caine. Right. They started out filming the puppet in a tank of baby oil. But they realized eventually that it was too expensive to keep filling this tank full of baby oil. So they switched to water, which I guess works just as well. It's not like we can tell which shots are baby oil and which shots are in water. So water works just as well here. Right. But it gives that floating quality to the the costume and the, the strands of yeah. hair. So that we really do get a sense of this ghost existing in its own atmosphere. Right, right. It's yeah, it just it, it works perfectly. Um, and then her her hands are usually uh, controlled with arm rods that are clear plastic. So we right I, I, we never notice the arm rods. We can see right through them because they're clear, and she's filmed in water. So Dickens always cool. refers to the ghost of Christmas Past as it. He does not assign gender to this character. It is uh, neither male nor female because it it incorporates Scrooge's memories of all the people he's ever known. There are aspects of it when Scrooge looks at it that evoke Fanny and evoke his childhood friends and evoke his father and evoke Belle, who's not named. And so it it has all of these qualities to it. So Dickens always calls it it because it's the most you know, unearthly thing to be confronted with. He also talks about it like seeming to have multiple heads and arms and legs sometimes. I think, yeah, Anthony, you mentioned that last time, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. I had, I, did, I have read the book maybe twice in my life. I did not remember that at all, but that's, yeah, just a great way that to describe a ghostly character. <laughs> uh, your homework for next time is to read. Yeah, no, I got to yeah load up on all the, the, bo- the original book, all the adaptations, everything ever made. It's um, so good. Listen to the listen to the Lionel Barrymore uh, radio production. At least one of them. Oh, I think I may have heard that. Yeah, again, though, it's been a long time. So well, you ha- so this is slightly off topic, but you had that Walter Cronkite tape set, right? The twentieth century's greatest radio shows, or whatever. Mm, uh, my parents may have had that one. They, they I, it oh, might okay. have been that. I don't know. Anyways, it was in there. If you, if, if you oh, okay. I thought we had discussed that. Okay. Maybe I'm thinking of something. It like included that. all the class, like like War of the Worlds and the Whistler, or what the Hitchhiker. I mean, you can also yeah, they, yeah all that edition all that that's a little bit shorter. That is Dickens' uh, performance edition. So there, you can get versions of A Christmas Carol that Dickens actually edited down, uh, and he performed those as basically one man shows as live readings in uh, a set. You know audience environment uh he went around and did that so there's there's actually a really good one if you're short on time uh, you can read the version dickens thought was here's the meat of this story uh, that he actually performed live for people that's cool right and the uh the the annotated book by michael patrick hearn that we've been talking about oh which is both versions yeah yeah but it has both versions of the text it has the Mm -hmm. the condensed version second yeah that's cool I, it is just is an amazing resource. I love it. I've actually got it sitting with me right now. Uh, yeah, me too. I keep I, it. I keep it right next to me every time we record. It's been so helpful for this season of the podcast. And actually, talking about radio dramatizations, I just remembered when I was a teenager, 
living in the San Antonio area, this was probably an annual tradition. A local talk radio station would do an adaptation of A Christmas Carol every year on the holidays. So you would be listening and it'd be like, oh, nephew Fred, that's the guy who hosts that, you know, that that talk show in the afternoon. And oh, that ghost, that's the lady who does the weather. So that was, yeah, that was a cool thing. Every town big enough to have community theater has its own Christmas Carol production. Yes. Right, right. I've I've mentioned that they do it here in the Twin Cities at the Guthrie Theater every year. Theater Huntsville here in Huntsville, Alabama also does an annual production. Every year. Wow. Yeah, that's that's a Mm -hmm. nice tradition. I've also seen a a really entertaining, uh, basically one man version that they do at the Atlanta Shakespeare Tavern uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, Hmm. There are a lot of different. And that was a little, you know, like Patrick Stewart did that one man Christmas. Right. Uh, A little bit different because the the actor is playing a lot of the different characters. Uh, But there there are uh, so many different ways to perform this story. It's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, we've seen that for sure. Uh, the puppetry for this ghost is done by three puppeteers. There's Karen Prell. We've talked about her on this podcast. I believe she's in she was in one or two of the other movies, right? Well, she's, yeah. she's Yolanda. So yeah. Oh, of course. Yes. So and, yeah, we've talked about Karen Prell. She's done a ton of Muppet stuff, uh, including playing Red Fraggle on both Fraggle Rock series. So she's she's still at it. Uh, also, Rob Tigner, I assume that's how to pronounce his name, T-Y-G-N-E-R. He has mostly worked on Creature Shop productions, including Labyrinth, The Storyteller, and Buddy. He later worked on Muppets Most Wanted. Buddy? Yeah, Buddy, that classic. One of the, one of the few the, releases the, by Jim Henson Pictures. The classic Rene Russo adopts a gorilla movie. Indeed, <laughs> that's the one. Hey, gorilla movies have a long history in Hollywood. They do. It's true. That's absolutely. Well, I'll tell you, Buddy is no King Kong. <laughs> no, no. Or Marty Joe Young. No, nor is he even uh no, Lugosi yeah. meets a Brooklyn gorilla. <laughs> uh, so then there's also the the third puppeteer is William Todd Jones, who also right. worked on Labyrinth and Muppets Most Wanted. Uh, notably, also, I, I think I saw this on Muppet Wiki. He performed Aslan the Lion in the 1988 BBC version of the lion the witch and the wardrobe which i loved as a kid that, oh i remember William. yeah that that they aired that many times on pbs over the years and it i happened to come across it one year like right after i had read uh the chronicles of narnia books for the first time so that was that was a very cool adaptation and just to round out the performance credits, the voice was provided by Jessica Fox, who yes. was about nine at the time. Yeah, we talked about her a little right. bit last week. She's still acting, we found. Uh, she was, yeah, she was she's just a kid, like you say. still on Hollyoaks. Yeah. Hollyoaks, yeah. right, that was she's, it. She's been on that show for 17 years. Yeah. Wow. Uh, on the yeah. DVD commentary, Brian Henson says that she did a really good job. She did the whole her whole part in about a day. Uh, which is impressive considering she had to mount, uh, match the line readings to the mouth movements of the puppet that were already recorded. So, you know, when when they did that for the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, you had all these uh, veteran adult actors, you know, longtime actors talking about how difficult it was to do that. So here's this, this young kid who comes in and does a whole movie uh, doing that in one day. So obviously very talented. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so, as we say, she introduces her, or, or it self, the ghost introduces the ghost self as the ghost of Christmas <laughs> past. But uh, she says she's there for Scrooge's welfare. And then here's this is a line that Jennifer uh, cited a, a few minutes ago. But I could, this has happened to me before in this movie. I could not understand this line. I played it back many times. Ultimately, uh, ultimately I looked up a transcript, but this is where he says, a night's unbroken rest might aid my welfare. Don't know why I couldn't make right. that out, but your salvation. And then. which, yes, that's her. Once again, she has a snappy comeback. Right. So that is pretty much right out of the book. Yes. Um. In the book, the book, the ghost says your reclamation instead of salvation. But mm. I guess I guess salvation is easier to understand. Yeah, like an easier word and an easier concept. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. It, you know, we have to put it in a modern idiom to some extent. We can't keep all right. of the Victorian vernacular. Right. But what I was also going to say is, this is interesting to me. This is one of those things where in an, ad- in an visual medium, people have to talk to each other rather than thinking things. Yes. But in the book, Scrooge doesn't say it to the ghost. 
Scrooge expressed himself much obliged, but could not help thinking that a night of unbroken rest would have been more conducive to that end. Ah, so okay. it, in the book, he's actually more polite to the ghost about it and, <laughs> right. and doesn't say it. <laughs> right. He, yeah, he, he's, he, they're wearing him down, but he still just wants to be left alone. He would prefer to be left alone. Right. Uh, then the ghost magically opens the window. We see Gonzo and Rizzo sitting on the tree branch right outside where, you know, right where we, we left them. But Scrooge and the ghost do not seem to see them. So this, you know, put no. this down in the column of uh, Gonzo and Rizzo are, are not actually uh, capable of interacting with the story, even though we have have a few things that go in the column of actually they sometimes do interact with the story. But it's it's not totally consistent. Well, I think Scrooge and the ghost have other things to think about yeah. right now. So, they're so not, they might sort of see them, but they're it. just not really thinking about it. Yeah. Scrooge isn't uh, worried about a rat and a thing on the tree branch outside his window any more than John Cleese was worried about a pig climbing up the side of his house. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, That's the chap. That's the chap. Uh, so, like I say, Scrooge is not crazy about the idea of going out this window. The spirit says, a touch of my hand and you shall fly. And it it seems like just making contact with this ghost gives Scrooge this temporary ability to fly because he's really, it's just, uh, just his thumb and forefinger, really. There's this shot of him taking her entire hand in his thumb and forefinger. And that's the only part of him that's touching her. So this is not like, Superman picking up Lois Lane and carrying her whole, you know, physical body flying across the sky. And right. The ghost is giving him the power of flight. Yeah, like temporarily infusing him with this this ability to fly. Uh, fortunately for Scrooge, it's also not like Peter Pan because he doesn't have to think happy thoughts because Scrooge probably doesn't have any happy thoughts. <laughs> well, Dickens, Dickens emphasizes in this scene the strength of the ghost and so that the the ghost is able to carry scrooge just with a touch uh is consistent with dickens idea that because this ghost is memory is 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 scrooge's past uh its power to compel and its power to carry somebody away literally uh you know is is undeniable irresistible uh, Scrooge is drawn into his own past. It's it's uh, kind of like falling into a reverie, you know, or seeing your life flash before your eyes. Uh, so the ghost has this power that can't be denied. Yeah. Uh, and so it's it's an incredibly strong entity, even though it seems so gentle. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Uh, I also had in my notes when Scrooge uh, takes the spirit's hand, there's this little bell sound on the score, which I just think is, is so such, such a nice little addition to give it just a little bit more magic. When they touch hands, it's like, ding. Yeah. He's um, now entered the past. Yeah, yeah. They're on their way. So then they fly out the window. And then for the next approximately minute and 20 seconds of this movie, <laughs> it's, they're, they're just flying. That's what's happening. Right. Uh, well. Well, that's why we have Gonzo and Rizzo there to spice that scene up, because right. otherwise it would seem a little, you know, dull for the kids, I guess. Yeah. Well, and speaking of the book and other adaptations, so in the book, they don't fly. We just get, as the words oh. were spoken, they oh. passed through the wall and stood right. upon an open country road with fields on either hand. So this is like, well, it's a movie. We better spice it up, put in a little action, which is kind of what Robert Zemeckis does in his in his monstrosity. Okay. You know, like, They've got that just like, of London. They might as well use it. Right. <laughs> right, right. Well, and but also like this is so much more charming than the Zemeckis movie. Like it's doing uh-huh. the same thing that I complain about with that one, but it's it's just better. <laughs> well, you know, there's the uncanny right. value. I mean there's there's some of that stuff. So Yeah, yeah. So, yes, Gonzo and Rizzo. Gonzo winds up his grappling hook. He tosses it onto Scrooge. I guess Scrooge never notices this. So, again, Rizzo and Gonzo are operating on some other plane of reality. Uh, Rizzo asks what Gonzo is doing. And I do like this this little moment when Gonzo says, nothing, just hold on. And then they get yanked away into, into space. Uh, now, they're flying over the rooftops uh, in the DVD commentary. 
Brian Henson explains that these are all separate elements. Michael Caine, the ghost, Gonzo and Rizzo all filmed separately. Also the rope, the rope was animated in later. So they, yeah, so they filmed the ghost in her tank. They filmed Michael Caine in front of a blue screen or a green screen, I guess. And then, yeah, then the rope was just, was just animated into the shot later. So, but you know, in addition to sort of livening up the, how do they get to the past segue? It totally fits for Gonzo to do something crazy, like, yeah fly around suspended from a rope. So it's really in keeping with his character whom we've known all this time as a daredevil. Right. Uh, he's, having, he's having a great time. He's enjoying himself immensely. He's cackling and loving <laughs> every minute of it. And Rizzo's like, goodbye lunch. And yeah, exactly. We've Gonzo seen... even needs a date. So <laughs> right. Right. Gonzo right. has been well... Gonzo has been relatively muted throughout this movie, but yeah, now we're really seeing this sort of thrill seeking daredevil like bring on the pain version of Gonzo that we are more familiar with. Right. Well and getting back to the goodbye lunch moment, that's about as far into vomit humor as I want <laughs> to go. Mm. You know, like there, there, there are versions of that joke where they would like show Rizzo retching or something instead. Oh, I hate know? that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a better decision, I think, than, than yeah. that would be. It lets you kind of fill in the rest of the punchline on your own. Right. Yeah. The way that that's set up is Gonzo's screaming, hello, London, and Rizzo says goodbye, lunch. Well, I think, too, Rizzo's just complaining because he likes to complain. I don't think he's really... Uh... I, don't think he, I don't think he's really that queasy, you know, it, but he likes to complain. Yeah, in this, in this movie, more reason to complain does. about that cat later on. Right, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, there's this interesting moment where Scrooge says, spirit, and she says, yes, and he says, nothing. Yeah, I have no idea what that is supposed to be. I was he going to say, "Oh, I dropped my keys back there." Like, I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> he, yeah, I, I think that it is indicative of how quickly this Scrooge is changing his ways. That a few minutes ago he would have had a, re- a rejoinder, some smart comment to make, a, a night's unbroken rest, a little mm. bit of gravy can affect them, right? All these kinds of rejoinders and snarky comments and and now he's thinking about it and he's speechless right like maybe he would have said something like uh, spirit this is ridiculous take me back right now right or but now or he really has nothing to say something clever or or whatever right but but he is very tame about yeah. being taken into this situation he seems willing to be born along which is you know what happens when you start going down memory lane yeah right and that's that's where they're headed so there you see this this bright light up ahead scrooge uh very astutely notes that it can't possibly be done and no it's the past uh so then they they just kind of fly into this bright light and now they are in the past yes this is a time travel story (laughs) this is uh is this has to be one of the earlier uh, time travel stories. Let's not get into that. <laughs> I mean, it happens magically yeah. rather than scientifically. It's not like the usual sci-fi building a time machine kind of thing. But true. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so they're yeah they're now somewhere completely different. It's daytime. They're flying over this this woods or forest of evergreen trees, uh, but. Everything in movies is fake, and these trees are no exception. This is also from the DVD commentary by Brian Henson. He says that these trees are miniatures. Each of them is only about three feet tall. So keep that in mind next time you're watching this scene. Uh, well, you can get away with that in a, in a puppet movie, too. So it's, yeah. it's, they don't look real. Yeah, and again, it's everything is moving very fast, and with everything being shot separately, you're, you're just not thinking about it. Uh, but as they're flying, Gonzo continues to be loving this. Rizzo continues to be hating this. Uh, they are on the end of the rope, so they end up getting dragged through these trees. We hear these crashing noises. Gonzo is saying, like, uh, pardon me, madam, pardon me, sir. And then at one point, there's this so noise funny. that sounds kind of like uh, 
the traditional Muppet cow mooing, or I don't know what it is. It's this it's this deep voice going, ooh, or something like that. Hang on, Rizzo! <laughs> Sorry, man! Pardon me, sir. Look out, Rizzo! I assume it's a cow. That's... Yeah, there's a cow in the forest. Then he comes up with a chicken. So... Yes, well, yes. Yeah, right, right. Why would there be chickens in the forest either? Or in a weather vane, right? Gonzo has a weather vane. Oh, yes, they also have, yeah, somewhere along the way they picked up a weather vane. I assume but... they hit a barn. Okay. I guess so, yeah. In the yeah. forest, though. Like, right, I... right. Maybe so there's a cabin. barn in the forest. Why not? Yeah, uh, okay. I guess so, yeah. Um, I was going to say, I think it's so funny that we don't see Gonzo and Rizzo during a lot of these noises. It's yeah. this, it's this majestic image of Scrooge and the, the spirit, you know, this kind of like from the shot from the side, it's just this like beautiful. And all we hear is like Rizzo howling and Gonzo saying, excuse me, pardon me. Yeah, no, you Which can't. Yeah. Makes it's not it so funny much funnier than if we saw doing. them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yes, when they emerge from the trees, there is a live chicken. Louis. On Gonzo. Uh, yes, it's <laughs> Gonzo introduces the chicken. This is Louise. Uh, I don't know for sure if if this chicken is named after Louise Gold, one of the puppeteers who worked on this movie, but I'd like to think so. Oh, that's an idea, yeah. Maybe, I don't know. Uh, so, yeah, of course, Gonzo would uh, be the one to uh, quickly befriend the chicken. Uh, then, as this clip ends, they all appear to be beginning their final descent into the past and that's that is the end of this clip so um that's all i have on these two minutes but i do want to uh go into uh, because we've now been formally introduced to the ghost of christmas past uh that means it's time for me to go down the list of other characters who have played this part in other adaptations featuring established characters now the ghosts are very important to this story so they're in pretty much all of the adaptations. So there are <laughs> there are a handful of names here. Uh, in Mickey's Christmas Carol, the Ghost of Christmas Past was played by Jiminy Cricket. In the Flintstones Christmas Carol, it was Wilma. This character does appear in the Smurf Christmas Carol special from 2011, where she was played by Smurfette. Whoa, 2011? Yes, yes. It's the some of the cast from the movies. The so it's those... a CGI. Yeah. Special? Yeah, huh. I will probably not try to catch up with that one as no, I as I make my as, way through. That's not as good as the Patrick Stewart movie, you don't think? I well, I mean, I, I guess I can't know for sure until I see both of them. But <laughs> um, in that episode of the real Ghostbusters cartoon that we talked about the, a couple weeks ago, it was Peter Venkman pretending to be the Ghost of Christmas Present to uh, to show Scrooge the error of his ways. Uh, recent... With like a curly curly blonde wig on, right? I think so. Yeah, they had to kind of like put on costumes to to make themselves look like the ghosts. Peter Venkman, of course, the character played by Bill Murray in the movies, but not voiced by Bill Murray on the Saturday morning cartoon. No, but it was it was Lorenzo music. It was Lorenzo music. Yeah, I was trying to think. It's not nothing. Yeah, no, it's not nothing. When did Dave Coulier take over that part on the cartoon? Season three, I think. Okay, I don't remember. I think, but I think the Christmas episode is season two. Yeah, that. it's definitely him. Yeah, that's okay. I that that's that's the only episode of that show I've seen in the past twenty five years. <laughs> okay, Lorenzo Music, yeah. the original Garfield himself, Carlton, your doorman yeah. himself, the the co creator of the Bob Newhart show himself. Yeah, all those things. Okay, so uh, also I recently mentioned a Muppet Magazine comic strip parody of the story called A Sort of Christmas Carol, in that uh, that that predates this movie. And that, The Ghost of Christmas Past was played by Fozzie. Huh. Which doesn't seem like the most logical casting. No. Well, just Fozzie wig is such a slam dunk. as we Right, right. It must just not have occurred to them when they were making that comic strip. How perfect that was. Yeah. Uh, And then, I don't know if we've mentioned yet uh, A Sesame Street Christmas Carol which was this direct-to-video special from 2006 where Scrooge... Clip show. Yeah, Oscar is playing the Scrooge part and the ghosts show up to show him some clips from older, more entertaining Sesame Street holiday specials uh, (laughs) to to try to get him to, uh, you know, convert and enjoy Christmas. Uh, In that one, 
The Ghost of Christmas Past is represented by an animated grouch named Rhubarb. Rhubarb the Grouch. Um, <laughs> there's also a special Sesame Street Christmas, the bizarre uh, special from 1978 that we've covered on Tough Pigs before a couple times. One of the weirdest Sesame Street things ever made. Um, Big Bird and, and Oscar and Barkley are the only Muppets who appear in it. Other than that, it's just human characters and guest stars. Uh, Oscar once again in that is playing the the uh, Scrooge role and in that one uh, the, the guest star singer Anne Murray pretends to be the ghost of Christmas past she shows Oscar images of his childhood by having him look into a magic eggnog container but <laughs> Anne Murray Anne Murray is Canadian so it sounds like magic eggnog container something like that magic magic eggnog and last, but probably least, the Rich Little Christmas special. Rich Little's everybody. Once again, yes, yes. So I will have you guess who did Rich Little uh, cast? Who? What impression did Rich Little use to play the role of the ghost of Christmas past? I, I Jennifer, do you want to guess first? Do you have an idea? <sighs> I watched the Rich Little Christmas Carol last year. <laughs> and I can't remember which impressions he did for which characters. I know he did Humphrey Bogart in there somewhere. Uh, and I can't, I can't remember. I don't know. Yeah, you know what? I'll just tell but, you. It was Humphrey Bogart. I'm going to guess. I see. I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Humphrey Bogart as the ghost of Christmas past. You know, the yeah, more of these we go through, I realize that Rich Little did not seem to have any rhyme or reason to his casting for the story. Well, I think I mean, the Bogart's from the past. I guess that's yeah. Cool. <laughs> but I'm old, so uh, so I remember when Rich Little was funny and was everywhere. Uh, <laughs> and also as a classic movie buff, I'm very invested in all of his impressions. Uh, oh, sure, yeah. Sure, yeah, yeah. I think his Humphrey Bogart is funny, right? It's Yeah, uh, his Humphrey Bogart is. And that's, is that's why, you know, because, because, because Bogart was already in the 70s, this figure of nostalgia. Oh, yeah, he, always, he already uh, seemed like he was from and, old movies. Exactly, uh, which has a lot to do with getting his big break in Hollywood when he was already in his mid forties, right? Yeah. But uh, so he really was already middle aged when he got famous. But yeah, I mean, I think that I think the rich little thing is really funny. It's bizarre, and you kind of have to be of a certain age and a certain inclination to really think it's funny, I guess. But but I do. <laughs> yeah, I actually, uh, I don't think I've seen it. We've talked about a sketch from the Dana Carvey show where Dana Carvey did Rich Little's Easter special. So I kind of get all that jumbled in my head with, with real things that Rich Little did, but. But you know, he has to go through and do WC Fields and he has to, you yeah. know, he has to go through and do all of these, you know, classic figures. I, right. I'll tell you my, my, my other favorite uh, Ghost of Christmas Past, because I really do love this one, but we were talking about Scrooge before is David Johansson, AKA Buster Poindexter. Ah, yeah. Goes, Jim Henson, our guest star, David Johansson. Yes. He is so funny in that sequence. And that movie is so quotable. But in, in my family, every time somebody gets teary eyed or starts to you know sniffle at something that's emotional, we always say Niagara Falls, Frankie Angel, uh, <laughs> because that's what the ghost says to Frank, uh, Bill Murray's character, when he takes him to the past and shows him his childhood. Huh. That's funny. So I, I love him. I got a shout out to him as my yeah. other favorite. Yeah, I, I have not been keeping up with the the casting from Scrooged. Maybe I should be. <laughs> you got to watch Scrooge, Ryan. It's really great. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's that's enough of that nonsense. That's all I have for these two minutes. Any other thoughts from either of you on these two minutes? Jennifer, I'll start with you. I just, I really love this puppet and I love the way that the film remains faithful, forgive the pun, to the spirit of A Christmas Carol, uh, even as it makes changes to make it a family film, to make it a Muppet film. There's just so much in this story that gets at the heart of what Dickens is trying to do with this story. And I think this ghost and this moment in the film really gives us that magic and wonder and that reverence uh, that is so appropriate to this story. Yeah. 
Yeah. And you, if I remember right, you did specifically request to come on. I did. I did. With this character. So yeah, I can see that you have a lot of, uh, a lot of fondness for the ghosts of Christmas past. I do. And I think memory is such a powerful thing. And, and the movie does a really good job showing us the way in which memory operates and the way we bury things from our past. And when we're confronting those things, they can really tell us a lot about who we are and how we've become the person that we are. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And we're going to see more of that as, oh, yeah. we, uh, as we go along with, uh, with Scrooge and his past. Uh, Anthony, any thoughts on these two minutes or do we have more from the old curiosity shop? I mean, we've kind of, well, with, with Jennifer here, we've kind of had the old curiosity shop open the whole time. Yeah, I think so. Which, right right see that's what i mean you you make a reference to the actual book the old curiosity shop is just what i call the segment where i talk about a christmas carol the novel um, <laughs> but because because we're curious about the not about what happened about how the movie compares to the novel right and, and you bought the novel in a shop <laughs> and i bought the novel in a shop yeah um, <laughs> i actually saw i think i told ryan this I actually saw the old curiosity shop in uh, a used bookstore in Minneapolis, an old, not, I mean, obviously not like a first edition or anything, but a copy from the four, 1940s or something. Yeah. And I almost picked it up. I've never read it. I should. Oh, like, wow. I named a segment on my podcast. After it. <laughs> it's, not one of, read it. it's not one of Dan's most widely read books today. You know, it's not tale of two cities or Oliver twist or David Copperfield or Christmas Carol. Um, but it's right. an interesting book, and it was a huge hit in the 19th century. So the the anecdote about the old curiosity shop and Little Nell was that in the United States, people hadn't gotten, right, it came out serially, as you know, they were published in segments, uh, and people were dying to know if Little Nell, who was ill in the last chapter, right, was <laughs> going to live or die. And they were waiting at the docks when the latest edition of the, the the latest serial installment was on the boat and people were there waiting at the dock shouting at the sailors does little nell die oh, wow. <laughs> and it was it's so funny how how nothing ever changes because that's just like firing up netflix at 3 a.m to watch stranger things yeah i was no, just thinking like people waiting for the last episode of better call saul it's, it's, we yeah, think it's... about media frenzies and and people's investment in fictional characters and popular culture as being sort of a modern thing but that's that was dickens super celebrity stardom as an author uh everybody needed to know what happened in these stories right right yeah. but yeah no that's uh that's that's all i had to say all right uh, then, uh, Jennifer, we have, uh, some questions that we like to ask all of our guests. Do you remember the first time you saw this movie? Where does it go in your ranking of all the Muppet movies? And you, I think you may have answered this already. Do you watch it every year around the holidays? So I do remember seeing it in the movie theater in 1992 when it first came out. It was a bittersweet experience because of course it was the first film after Jim died. Yeah. And so we watched my now husband, then boyfriend, and I went to see it in Atlanta where we were in college. And we talked about, you know, Kermit sounds different. And still, it's really good to see the Muppets survive his passing. And so it was kind of a it was it was a great choice because the Christmas Carol is a bittersweet story. And it's a story of, of partings. Right. Uh, as Bob Cratchit Kermit says, uh, about Tiny Tim's death, but that scene about Tiny Tim, like I think everybody in the audience kind of felt like it was a eulogy for Jim. Yeah. In the in yeah. the same time, it, and it felt so appropriate and emotional. And I remember, you know, like we were all just like sniffling, and and the Niagara Falls was happening right yeah. in the theater because it was really powerful to see that movie in the wake of of Henson's death and kind of understand what it meant to Brian Henson to direct it, you know, to the, the puppeteers to carry on and uh, just to, to be part of that experience then. So I definitely remember seeing it. Uh, let's see, where does it rank in the Muppet movies? It is a special favorite of mine. And, and I know this is contentious, right? But for me, like the original Muppet movie and then this movie, this is like 
second only to the original. Uh, awesome. I just love this movie. And because of that, yes, I do watch it every year and I watch it twice every year at Christmas. Ah, okay. Uh, because we watch it right after Thanksgiving. Like as soon as we are allowed to watch Christmas movies, this is the first <laughs> one we watch. Uh, we have a whole collection of Christmas movies that we watch every year. So we watch uh, this one first and then we watch Scrooged and we watch White Christmas. Uh, sometimes we watch It's a Very Merry Muppet Christmas movie, depending on how we feel about the life that year. Uh, we watch uh, Frosty the Snowman and Rudolph and stuff like that. But then we always watch this one again on Christmas Eve. Oh, we watch wow. On Christmas Eve. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, there, Ooh, there's so many... It. So many uh, Christmas movies and specials that it's like, oh, I, I want to watch that every year, but there are just so many of them that it's hard sometimes to find the time within a single month. But I, I do respect you waiting until after Thanksgiving to watch that stuff. because <laughs> It just, yeah, it just feels wrong to me to, to, I mean, obviously we're watching this movie two minutes at a time for like an entire year, but um, it would feel strange to me to sit down like at, at the end of October and oh yeah yeah Although, it, you know, it's like kind of a Halloweeny vibe too but um, I guess it does yeah the ghosts but I, usually like the day after Thanksgiving Black Friday when we do not leave the house uh that is our first viewing of Christmas Carol okay. and then my kid pretty much insists my kid's 21 now um but we've watched mm. every single year that my kid has been alive uh and so Christmas Eve that is what they want to watch every year they're like we're all going to sit down as a family. We're watching Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, with the love is gone. Like we only watched the, the version with the song in it. Okay. Well, sure. you, you, I'm sure you've heard that they're, they're putting yeah. that back on Disney plus. Yeah. Which is wonderful. I, we, we watched it on Disney plus one time because we were like, Oh, we won't go get the DVD. And then we were all mad because the song wasn't and we We're like, now we have to watch the actual version because that song is, <laughs> that's important. We have to have that. Yeah, yeah, it, it, I, we'll talk about this, but I, I used to be very kind of, um, I don't know, cranky about it, but I've, I've warmed up to that song quite a bit, but we will get to that in a future minute, a future clip. Ooh, right, uh, yeah, we'll from, talk about it, we'll have plenty of time. We will, yes, for now, then we can wrap things up for this week. Everyone, please make sure you check out toughpigs.com on the internet and everywhere, social media and, and all those places. Thanks to Morgan Davey for our logo. Uh, if you would like to support us on Patreon, we would appreciate that very much at patreon.com slash toughpigs. You can email us at movingrightalong at toughpigs.com. You can find me on Twitter at me, Ryan Rowe. I'm on Letterboxd at Movies Are Neat. And Anthony is on Letterboxd at Zeppo Marxist. So please follow us there. And Jennifer, where can our listeners find you and or your work on the internet? I'm on Twitter and Instagram as Jennifer Garland, so I'm pretty easy to find. My classic movie literature and popular culture blog, Virtual Virago, uh, is also pretty frequently updated. And I write the Silver Screen Standards column for the Classic Movie Hub. Very cool. Everybody mm -hmm. go follow all of those things. Uh, also, everybody, if uh, there's somewhere that you can give us a positive review online, we would love it if you do that. We do check periodically to see... If anyone has given us uh, a five-star rating or a nice uh, review, so we, we love seeing this. Also, please tell everyone you know about this show and join us again next week for another episode of Moving Right Along. Until then, goodbye lunch. <laughs>